0: Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome my titans, warlords, and enforcers, and all my new listeners. I am, unfortunately, still under the weather, and I've been sculling honey and lemon tea like it's nobody's business, and my voice, well, it's a little bit shot. The worst part isn't the voice, it's the fatigue, but the show must go on. (laughs) To my awesome listeners, I'm not going to skip this episode and instead double down by remastering two episodes from our favourite OTR, Sherlock Holmes and Whimsical Watson. (laughs) It does me good to listen and laugh at dialogue like this.
1: Uh, like a cigar doctor, it's a good one. Sent me back three shillings.
0: Oh, three shillings? Oh, thank you. That's very nice. Oh, just put one. No, oh, I three shillings. Oh <laughs> three shillings, don't <laughs> Watson, you crack me up. And when you're sick, you can really appreciate a good joke to liven up the way one feels. Nonetheless, I won't be doing a complete outro again, because the more I talk, the more well the more I struggle. So before I go. I do want to squeeze in my thank yous to all of you, you lovely supporters, that support me via Patreon. I have enough energy to thank you amazing people, my legendary Knight T-Titan Maya, the Queen of Cats. Thank you so much for your super marvellous tier of support, an absolute godsend. My two awesome White T-Warlords, Leza Bauer and Paige Kramer. Thank you both for your brilliant support, and my Grain forces... The people that I'm lucky to have, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juice Box Andy, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by 0. Thank you all so much, and for your patience. I'm going to head off to sleep, but stick with me Wednesday, when I'll be fighting fit. I'm just at the last legs of this, dealing with the fatigue and the sore throat slowly going away. So I'm sure by Wednesday I'll be fine. And thank you all for the well wishes. As always, mates, till next we meet.
1: Good evening, Doctor.
2: Good evening, Mr. Bartell. You're a little bit late. I've been keeping some dinner hot for you. Here, pull up your chair and join me. That's very nice of you. Thanks, Doctor. Are you all set with the story? Yes, my boy, I'm
1: all set, as you call it. As a matter of fact, I was going over my notes on the case just before you arrived. Uh, Last week, you hinted that a beautiful girl figured prominently in your adventure. That's quite right,
2: Mr. Bartell. An extremely beautiful girl. In fact, I often used to say to Sherlock Holmes that if I'd been a little younger at the time, I might... Oh, well, you haven't come here to (laughs) listen to my personal reminiscences. You want to hear the story that I called The Problem of Tor Bridge. That's what you promised us, Doctor. How did it begin? On a windy morning in October... In, 18, in the 1890s, it was. As I was dressing, I observed how the last remaining leaves were being whirled away from the solitary plane tree which graced the yard behind our Baker Street house. I descended to breakfast, prepared to find my companion in depressed spirits, for, like all great artists, he was easily impressed by his surroundings. But, to my surprise, he was in an unusually gay mood. As I entered the room, he looked up at me and, with a with a smile,
3: My dear fellow, hope you slept well. Splendidly, thank you, I'm so glad.
2: You're very solicitous this morning. I I think you must have got a new case. (laughs) Am
3: I right? The faculty of deduction is certainly contagious. Yes, I have a new case. After a month of trivialities and stagnation, the wheels revolve once more. Good. Tell me all about it. Well, as yet, there isn't much to tell. Have you ever heard of Neil Gibson... Neil Gibson? Oh, yes, he has something to do with gold mining, isn't he? A great deal to do with it, my dear fellow. In fact, he's considered the greatest mining magnate in the world. About five years ago, he bought a large estate in Hampshire. Perhaps you've read of the tragic death of his wife. Oh, yes, of course, I remember the
2: case now. She was murdered by a jealous governess who was in her employ, wasn't she?
3: That point will be decided when the lady in question, uh, Grace Dunbar, I believe her name is, comes up for trial at the forthcoming Winchester Assizes. In any case, it's hard for me to see... What I can do for my client at this late date? Your client? Oh yes, I forgot I hadn't told you. I'm getting into your involved habit of telling a story backwards. Mm. Better read this letter. Came this morning.
2: Oh, let's have a look. Dear Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Miss Dunbar is innocent. I can't see the finest woman in the world go to her death without doing everything possible to save her. I shall call on you at ten thirty tomorrow morning to discuss the matter. Yours faithfully,
3: Neil Gibson. Gracious me. There you have it, Watson. That is the gentleman I await. Uh, Do you know anything about his dead wife? Only what I've been reading in the papers. Apparently she was past her prime, which was the more unfortunate as this Miss Dunbar, who superintended the education of the two young children, is reputed to be a very attractive young lady. Uh, Eternal triangle, eh? Well, where did the murder take place? On Gibson's estate in Hampshire. His wife was found in the grounds nearly half a mile from the manor house, late at night, clad in her dinner dress with a shawl over her shoulders, and... A revolver bullet through her brain. Any weapon found near her? No, there were no clues found at the scene of the crime. What made them suspect the governess? Well, in the first place, there was some very incriminating evidence. A revolver with one discharged chamber, the caliber corresponding with the bullet in the dead woman's head, was found on the floor in Miss Dunbar's wardrobe. Oh, was it? Pretty damaging evidence, Holmes. Mm, So the coroner thought. And to make the case even blacker against Miss Dunbar, the dead woman had a note on her making an appointment at that very spot and the note was signed by the governess. It
2: seems obvious that the girl's guilty, and the motive's clear. Mr. Gibson would be a great catch for a young girl. Love,
3: fortune, power, all dependent on one life. Possibly, Watson, but circumstantial evidence can be very misleading at times. Ah, as the gentleman in question, unless I'm very much mistaken, considerably before his time.
2: I can see him from the window here. Formidable-looking fellow. Must be well over six-foot tall. <laughs>
3: Judging by the way he's wrenching at that doorbell, he's a man with a violent temper.
2: Mrs. Hudson's opening the door to him now.
3: Ah, uh, Meet him on the stairs, will you, old chap? We'll save Mrs. Hudson a journey.
2: Uh, sure, Up here, sir. Thank you, Mr. Hudson. all right. Are you Mr. Sherlock Holmes? No, no, indeed, I'm his colleague, Dr. Watson. Uh, come along in, won't you?
3: Mr. Neil Gibson, I presume? That's right. See, so you're the great Sherlock Holmes, huh? <laughs> the adjective is your own, Mr. Gibson. Sit down, won't you? By the way, you may speak uh, quite freely in front of
4: Dr. Watson. Hmm. Well, I may as well begin by telling you that money means nothing to me in this case. You can burn it if it's any use to you in lighting the truth. Miss Dunbar is innocent, and it's up to you to prove it.
3: Just name your fee. Uh, Mr. Gibson, my professional charges are on a fixed scale. I don't bury them except when I omit them altogether. Very well. I
4: imagine that you've read the newspaper reports of the coroner's inquest. Yes, very thoroughly. I don't see that I can add anything that'll help you. But if there are any questions you'd like to ask, I'll answer them. Thank you. First, now what were the exact relations between you and Miss Dunbar? I suppose you're within your rights in asking such questions, Mr. Holmes? We will agree to suppose so, shall we? Then I can assure you that my relations with Miss Dunbar were always those of an employer towards a young lady with whom he never conversed or even saw, except in the company
3: of his children. Oh, rather a busy man, Mr. Gibson, and I have no time or taste for aimless conversation. I wish you good morning. What the devil do you mean by this, Mr. Holmes? My dear sir, the case is difficult enough without your giving me false information. Meaning that I lie, sir? I was trying to express it as delicately as possible, but if you insist on the word, I won't contradict you. Why, you confound me! Don't be noisy, Mr. Gibson. Please don't be noisy. I find that after breakfast, even the smallest argument is unsettling. I suggest that a stroll in the morning air and a little quiet thought will be greatly to your advantage.
4: I suppose I can't make you take the case, but you've done yourself no good this morning, Mr. Holmes. I've broken stronger men than
3: you. No man ever crossed me and was the better for it. Good morning, Mr. Gibson. You've a great deal yet to learn. Well,
2: Marcel Holmes, you run unusually severe with him.
3: I dislike liars, Watson, and I cannot tolerate arrogance, particularly when it's coupled with great wealth.
2: Well, how did you know about his relations with the governor? I didn't. It was pure bluff. Bluff? Well, it
3: certainly worked. Think he'll come back? Oh, of course he will. He needs my help too badly. He'll probably change his mind before he's halfway down the stairs. Come in. <clears throat> ah, Mr. Gibson. Just saying to Dr. Watson that I was certain you'd be back.
4: I've been thinking it over, Mr. Holmes, and I feel that perhaps I was hasty in taking your remarks amiss. Just the same, I can assure you that the relations between Miss Dunbar and me really
2: don't affect this case. Surely that is for me to decide, Mr. Gibson. You see, Mr. Gibson, my friend is like a doctor. He wants every symptom before he can give his diagnosis. Fire away, Mr. Holmes.
4: What is it you want to know? The truth. I can give it to you in very few words. To begin with, I met my wife when I was gold mining in Brazil.
2: Uh, Your wife was Brazilian by birth,
4: wasn't she, sir? Yes, doctor, and very beautiful. Well, to make a long story short, I fell in love and married her... and brought her to England. After a few years, I realized that we had nothing... absolutely nothing in common.
3: And then I suppose this young governess, Miss Dunbar, arrived on the scene.
4: That's right, Mr. Holmes. Well, the story should be obvious to you from there.
2: You uh, fell in love with this girl, I suppose, sir.
4: Who could help it?
2: Did you suggest marriage to her?
4: Yes, though I knew that my wife would never divorce me. I see. Then you made an utterly insincere proposition to her. Now, look here, Mr. Holmes. I came to you on a question of evidence, not of morals. I'm not asking for your
3: criticism. It's only the young lady's sake that uh, forces me to touch your case at all. Now, tell me, sir, uh, what is your own opinion as to Miss Dunbar's guilt? It's very black against her, I can't deny that. One explanation of the tragedy did
4: come into my head, Mr. Holmes. I give it to you for what it's worth. Pray continue, Mr. Gibson. My wife was bitterly jealous. She was half crazy with hatred. She might have planned to murder Miss Dunbar, or we'll say to threaten the girl with a revolver and so frighten her into leaving us. There might have been a struggle in which the gun exploded and gone off and shot my
3: wife, who was holding it. Well, that possibility has already occurred to me. It's the only obvious alternative to deliberate murder. The revolver, Holmes. was found on the floor of the governess's wardrobe. And Mr. Gibson, I should like to examine your house on the scene of the murder as soon as possible. Certainly, Mr. Holmes. Sergeant Coventry of the local police are still down there. He'll give you any help you may need. Excellent. Watson Old Fellow, out for the timetable. We're catching the next fast train to Winchester.
5: So if I have to have someone else on the case, I'd rather have you, Mr. Holmes. the yard gets called in, then then we local police loses all credit for success. Generally gets blamed for the failures. Though I've heard that you play straight.
3: <laughs> I don't appear in the matter at all, Sergeant Coventry. If I can clear it up, I don't ask to even have my name mentioned. Oh, that's handsome of you, I'm sure, and I know your friend Dr. Watson
5: can be trusted, too. Oh,
2: don't worry, my dear fellow, we won't steal any of your thunder. Oh, that's nice and friendly of
5: you, Doctor. Well, come on, gentlemen, I'll walk you down to the bridge. That's where we found Mrs. Gibson's body. It's not far from the house here.
2: Well, I must say, Mr. Gibson has a beautiful estate. It must be 60 or or 70 acres. Oh, nearly twice that, Doctor.
5: The wood's back of the house there belongs to him, too. Mr. Holmes. Yes, Sergeant? There's a question I'd like to ask you. A question I wouldn't ask anyone else. Then please ask it. Don't you think there might be a case against Mr. Gibson himself, sir? I've been considering that possibility. But there, Miss Dunbar's a bit of all right. If you ask me, he wanted his wife out of the way, and the pistol she was shot with was his pistol, you know. Oh, was was that fact uh, proven? Yes, Doctor. It was one of a pair that he had. One of a pair? Where's the other? Well, Mr. Gibson has a lot of firearms. We we never quite matched that particular pistol. But the box was made for two. Well, if it was one of a pair,
2: surely you'd be able to match it.
5: Well, we have them all laid out at the house if you want to look them over. We'll do that later. Ah, this, I presume, is Tor Bridge. That's right, sir. Found Mrs. Gibson's body lying right here at the approach to the bridge. I see. I gathered from the newspaper reports that the shop was fired at very close quarters. Yes, sir, very close. In yeah, the right temple, wasn't it? Just behind it, sir. How um, did the body lie, Sergeant? Oh, I back, Doctor. No trace of a struggle, no marks, no weapon. The note from Miss Dunbar was clutched in her left hand.
3: Clutched, you say?
5: Yes, sir. We, we could hardly open the fingers to get at it.
3: Ah, that's a... Of greatest importance, it excludes the idea that anyone could have placed the note there after death... in order to furnish a false clue.
5: What did the note say, Sergeant? Little enough, Doctor. It just said, uh, I will be at Torbridge at nine o'clock, and it was signed Grace Dunbar. Miss Dunbar admit writing it? Oh, yes, sir. What was her explanation? She wouldn't say nothing. Said she was saving her defence for the trial.
3: Yes, it seems odd that Mrs. Gibson was still clutching that note. Seems perfectly natural to me. Oh, come now, old fellow. Argue the thing out logically. If the letter is genuine, it was certainly received sometime before the tragedy, say an hour or two. Why, then, was the dead woman still clasping it in her left hand? Why should she carry it so carefully? She certainly didn't need to refer to the note at all at the interview. Doesn't it strike you as rather strange?
2: Well, now you put it that way, it does seem a little peculiar. Hello. Did
3: you notice this, Sergeant?
5: Oh, you mean that chip out of that stone on the underside of the parapet of the bridge, sir? Yes, I noticed it, uh... Didn't think nothing of it, though.
3: Uh, it's a very large chip. Yes, but it's been done recently. Heard it how the stonework is quite just here. It took some violence to do that. Hand me a cane, Watson, will you? Here yeah, Thanks. Yes. It's a hard knock.
5: And in a curious place, too. But it's 15 feet from where we found the body, Mr. Dow.
2: Yes, Holmes, I don't see how it could have any connection with Mrs. Gibson's well, murder. Possibly it hasn't.
3: But it's a point worth noting. There were no footprints, you say, Sergeant? None, Mr. Holmes. The ground
5: was as hard as iron. and it's been a very dry summer. and We haven't had any rain to speak of this. Yes, as as mm. Well, Sergeant, I'm much obliged to, and now I think we'll get back to the house. All right. Uh, Cesar will show you where the firearms are, sir. Oh, uh, who is Cesar? Funny kind of a bloke. Brazilian, eh? Brazilian, eh? Like Mrs. Gibson? Yes, Mr. Holmes. Uh, comes from the same town that she does, as a matter of fact. Something very fishy about him, if you ask me. Now, if you'll excuse me, gentlemen, I'm going to take a little stroll around the grounds. You've started me on a new train of thought in this case, Mr. Vell. Oh, oh. I'm delighted, Sergeant.
3: I'll get back to the house. I see. And these are all the firearms in Mr. Gibson's possession, eh, Cesar?
1: Except for the revolver that is missing from the case. Yes, so I say I see him. I
3: have never seen such a collection of guns and revolvers in my life. Mr. Gibson had many enemies, senor. He always sleep with a loaded pistol beside his bed. She is a man of great violence. There have been times when all of us were afraid of him. Did you ever witness physical violence towards Mrs. Gibson? No, senor. I cannot say that I have. But I have heard him say many terrible things to her. She would taunt her in front of we servants. I have heard him do it many times. Thank you, Cesar. That will be all. to bem, señor.
2: You know, Holmes, I do think the case against Miss Dunbar looks very black.
3: I should agree with you, if it were not for one fact. The finding of the revolver in her wardrobe.
2: Well, Miss Holmes, that seems to me the
3: strongest evidence of all. I think not, old chap. Huh? We must look for consistency. Where there is a, a want of it... We must suspect deception. I don't quite follow you. Suppose for a moment that we visualize you in the character of a woman who in cold, premeditated fashion is about to murder a rival. You've planned it. A note has been written. The victim has come. You have a, a weapon. The crime is well done. It has been workmanlike and complete. You mean to tell me that after carrying out your a crime, you'd be so stupid as to forget to fling the incriminating revolver to the bottom of the stream? Or perhaps in the uh, dense reeds that border it? Would you carefully carry it home? and put it in the first place that would be searched? Your wardrobe? Well, perhaps in the excitement of the moment, one... Oh, my dear chap, I won't admit that's even possible. When a crime is coolly premeditated, then the means of covering it are coolly premeditated also. Well, then if Miss Dunbar didn't shoot Mrs. Gibson, who the devil did? I hope I can give you the answer to that question, Watson, when we've made one further visit. Oh, Lord, where are we going now? To prison, old chap. Prison? Yes, we are going to Winchester Prison to call on Miss Dunbar, I'm certain but the key to this strange mystery lies in her hands.
1: The Problem of Tor Bridge. Well, uh, Doctor, did you go to Winchester Prison and see Miss Dunbar? We did,
2: Mr. Bartell, an hour later I found the two of us sitting in a dank and gloomy cell, talking to one of the most beautiful girls that I've ever seen. Her bright, flashing eyes and her air of quiet confidence seemed sadly out of place in such a setting. Holmes spoke to her
3: quietly. Tell us of your true relations with the dead woman.
6: She hated me, Mr. Holmes. She hated me with all the passion of her distorted mind.
3: Please tell us exactly what happened on the evening of Mrs. Gibson's death.
6: Well, I, I received a note from her in the morning. A note imploring me to meet her at the bridge after dinner that night. She said she had something important to say to me. Did you keep that
2: note, Miss Dunbar?
6: No, Doctor. She, well, she asked me to destroy the note, so I burned it in the schoolroom grate. I saw no reason for such secrecy, but, well, I I did as she asked.
3: Hmm. And yet she kept your reply very carefully. It's interesting. Tell me what happened when
6: you met her that night. When I reached the bridge, she was waiting for me. I, I won't tell you what she said but she poured out her whole wild fury and burning, horrible words. I didn't answer. I couldn't. It was dreadful even to look at her. She was like an insane woman, standing there screaming disgusting insults at me. I, I put my hands to my ears and rushed away. Where was she
3: standing when, when you left
6: her? Within a few yards of the spot where her body was found later.
3: And yet, presuming she met her death shortly after you left her, you heard no shot.
6: No. No, I heard hmm. nothing. But I was so upset, Mr. Holmes, that I rushed straight back to my room.
3: Did you leave it again that night?
6: Yes. When the alarm came that Mrs. Gibson was dead, I ran out with the others.
3: Did you see uh,
2: Mr. Gibson?
6: Yes, Doctor. He had just returned from the bridge when I saw him. He had sent for the doctor and the police.
3: Uh, This pistol that you found in your room, have you ever seen it before?
6: Never, Mr. Holmes, I swear it. When was it
3: found, Miss Dunbar?
6: Next morning, when the police made their search. It was on the floor of my wardrobe where I keep my shoes.
3: Mm, You have no idea how long it had been there?
6: Well, it hadn't been there the morning before. How do you know? Because I had tidied up the wardrobe that day.
3: I see. Then someone must have come into your room and placed the pistol there in order to incriminate you.
6: I'm certain of it. Well, uh, when could they have done that? Well, it it, it could have been at mealtimes. Or when I was in the schoolroom with the children.
3: Yes. Miss Dunbar, on examining the scene of Mrs. Gibson's death, I noticed that a... A piece of stonework on the underside of the parapet of the bridge had been broken away. Can you suggest any possible explanation for that?
6: Oh, surely it must have been a mere coincidence, Mr. Holmes. Possibly.
3: But why should it appear at the very time of the tragedy and at the very place? Could it possibly be that... Why, yes, of course. Idiot! Why didn't I think of it before? Come along, Watson. Where are we going, Holmes? Back to Thorbridge, old fellow. As fast as we can get there.
6: What have you found out, Mr. Holmes?
3: The answer to this mystery, I hope, my dear young lady. You will get news before the day is out. And meanwhile, take my assurance that the clouds are lifting and that the light of truth is breaking through.
5: Well, Mister Holmes, you're soon back here. What have you found out? Turn in a few moments. Have you got my message? Oh yes, sir. Here you
3: are. All of twine. What you wanted for? I can't imagine. Uh, You'll soon see, Sergeant. Uh, Watson, I uh, have some recollection that you usually go armed on these excursions of ours.
2: Yes, I'm carrying my revolver.
3: Why? Give it to me, old chap, will you? Thanks. I I believe your revolver may have a very intimate connection with the mystery we're investigating. (laughs) You're joking. Now, Watson, I'm very serious. I have a test to make. The test is successful. Miss Dunbar will be free before nightfall, and the test will depend on the conduct of this revolver of yours. Uh, Take the precaution of unloading it. Uh Uh-huh. There we are. Now, Sergeant, ball of twine, please. Wish I knew what you was up to, sir. I tie one into the twine like this to the handle of the revolver. So, Sergeant, see if you can find me a heavy stone, will you? Oh, roger, sir. Holmes, what are you doing? Trying to reconstruct the killing of Mrs. Gibson. But you've seen me miss the mark before, Watson. I have an instinct for such things, and yet it has sometimes played me false. Seemed a certainty when it first flashed across my mind, Miss Dunbar's cell. But one drawback of an active mind is that one can always conceive alternative explanations which would make our scent a false one. And yet... Oh, well, we can but try. Is a nice it. stone, Mr. Holmes. Thank you, Sergeant. Yes, now, sir. I tie the other end of the twine to the stone. Wait a minute. Like that. Splendid. Uh, Sergeant, will you please take the stone and stretch the twine across the parapet of the bridge there? so that the stone will swing just clear of the water on the other side of the bridge. Right, sir. I'll stand on the spot where Mrs. Gibson's body was found. That's it, Sergeant. Over the parapet. How's that, Mr.
5: Rove? The stone swinging about eight feet above the water.
3: Splendid. Now, Watson, watch closely. I raise the revolver to my head. Careful, Holmes, careful. Don't worry, old chap, it's not loaded. Now, let us imagine I am the late Mrs. Gibson. I raise the revolver to my head and fire it. Instantly, my fingers release that equipment. There's your monster, Watson. Great. scoffed of all the revolver flashed back out of your hand. Struck the parapet of the bridge and then the weight of the stone flipped it over into the water. Was there ever a more exact demonstration? Come on, old fellow. You're a blooming magician, Mr. Holmes. That's what you are. A blooming look, magician. Look at that. Serve the second chip on the stonework of the parapet here. Same size as the first. And then the murder of Mrs. Gibson. It wasn't murder at all. It was suicide. But We can follow the various steps quite clearly. A note was extracted very cleverly from Miss Dunbar. A note which made it appear that she had chosen the scene of the crime. Mrs. Gibson, in her anxiety that the note should be discovered, somewhat overdid it by holding it in her hand to the last. That alone should have excited my suspicions earlier than it did.
2: So she stole one of her husband's revolvers and... She the other one in Miss Dunbar's wardrobe.
5: Exactly.
3: After discharging one of the cartridges, which she could easily do in the woods without attracting suspicion, she then went down to the bridge where she contrived this exceedingly ingenious method of getting rid of her weapon. When Miss Dunbar appeared, she used her last breath in pouring out her hatred, and then, when the girl had left, carried out her terrible purpose. Then the missing revolver. You'll find it uh, with the aid of a grappling hook at the bottom of the stream, and also the stone and the string, uh, with which this vindictive woman attempted to, to disguise her own crime and fasten a charge of murder on an innocent victim.
2: Yes, Sergeant, and don't forget while you're at it that my revolver's down there too. Oh, don't worry, Doctor. I'll get some grappling hooks right away. <laughs> I must say, Holmes, you've solved this case brilliantly.
3: Quite brilliant, Ah, uh, I disagree, old chap. And I fear that you will not improve my reputation by adding the case of the Torbridge mystery to your annals. Oh, nonsense. But well, that's ridiculous. Oh, no, it isn't, old boy. I've been sluggish in my mind and wanting in that mixture of imagination and reality which is the very basis of my art. I confess that the chip in the stonework was a sufficient clue to suggest the true solution and I blame myself. ...and not having attained it sooner.
2: Well, Holmes, personally, I agree with the sergeant's opinion of you. Oh? What was that, old fellow? You're a blooming magician, Mr. Holmes. That's what you are, a blooming magician. Let's see... Now, oh, no, now, Mr. Bartell, don't say let's see if he's expecting us. You know I always expect you at this time on Monday evenings, my boy. So draw up your usual chair and settle down.
1: Thanks, Doctor.
2: Ah, oh, that's it. Ah... <sighs> All alone this evening, Doctor? Where are the puppies? Out on the patio. They had a most unfortunate encounter with a dead seal on the beach this afternoon. In consequence, they're a little, uh, malodorous, shall we say.
1: <laughs> in that case, Doctor, perhaps we'd better change the subject. So, suppose I ask you about tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure. Well, my boy, as I told you last week, the story took place in the foul alleyways of
2: Limehouse. It was there on a foggy December evening in 1890 that my story began. An old friend and patient of mine, Isa Whitmere, had disappeared, and his distraught wife had come to me for help. Knowing the man to be the victim of the shocking habit of taking opium, I suspected that I might find him in one of the vile dens inhabited by the dregs of the waterfront. And so, Mr. Bartell, about five o'clock on that December evening, I began my search. After an hour of fruitless wanderings, I found myself in a vile alley called Upper Swandham Lane. I could hear the distant moans of the river boats as I walked, eyes alert and hand on the revolver in my coat pocket. Suddenly, I saw a steep flight of steps leading down to a black gap like the mouth of a cave. I walked down them. The steps were worn hollow in the center by the ceaseless tread of stumbling feet. I reached the bottom. A door faced me and above it, a flickering oil lamp winked warnings at me. I found the latch and lifted it. The door squeaked open protestingly. And I entered. There was a tinkle of Chinese wind bells as I walked towards a long, low room. A strange sight met my eyes. Through the gloom, thick and heavy with the brown opium smoke, I saw that the room was terraced with wooden berths, like the forecastle of an emigrant ship. Out of the shadows, there glimmered little red circles of light, now bright, now faint, as a burning poison waxed or waned in the metal pipes. Bodies lay in strange, fantastic poses. bowed shoulders, bent knees, heads thrown back. The attendant came up to me with a pipe and beckoned me to an empty berth. I haven't come here to smoke your filthy drug. I'm looking for a friend, Mr. Issa Whitney. No, Mr. Whitney, here. Well, I'm going to search the place. You must not disturb the place. I'm carrying a revolver, so you'd better not argue with me, my good man. Out of the way. I searched that filthy den but found no trace of my missing friend. As I was leaving in despair, a long shaking hand reached out and plucked at my sleeve. I turned, and there sprawled in a berth was the wreckage of a man, his gaunt face yellow and twitching, his clothes filthy and ragged, and the pupil of his eyes like pinpoints. He spoke to me in a thin, quavering,
3: for heaven's sake, get me out of here. Now, look here, my man. Don't say you won't help me, governor. Ain't you got no Please help me, governor. Take me out of here. Strike me pink, I'm going to bomb
2: me, I tell you. Oh, what must you expect if you indulge in this filthy habit? Take me out of here, governor. I'll go straight this time. Cross me out, I will. Oh, very well. Come along with me. I suppose it's my duty to help you. Ah, oh, bless you, governor. Here, here, now, give me your arm.
1: You cannot take him away. He owe me money. That's a bleeding lie. I paid him when I come in, I did. He cannot go
2: with you, mister. you remember what I said about my revolver, you blackguard? If I have any more trouble with you, I'll, I'll fetch the police. Come along. He
3: owe me money. He owe me money.
2: Infernal scottled owe me money. Owe tell me money, him all money.
3: proper, I governor. I hope you didn't.
2: Now, look here, my good man. I'll give you a square meal, some advice, and some medical
3: attention. But the rest Never mind the advice, Watson, but I'll take you up on that square meal. Holmes? Yes, I'm very glad to see you, old fellow. What brought you to that filthy den of iniquity?
2: Oh, gracious me. I went to find a friend. And I, an enemy. (laughs) Your disguise is
3: wonderful. It completely fooled me. But I'm afraid the proprietor was beginning to penetrate it. That's why I staged the little rescue scene. Had I been recognised, my life wouldn't have been w- worth an hour's purchase. Well, how long had you been there? Why were you there? Come on, Holmes, tell me all about it. With pleasure, old chap. But first, let's find a, a chop house. I want that square meal you promised me. Excellent meal, Watson.
2: Yes, you're surprisingly good for such a shoddy-looking place. Well, Holmes, now perhaps you'll tell me what you were doing in that opium den.
3: I've already told you my story. I'm shadowing a most unusual criminal. A man who haunts the opium dens. Yet I know that he himself is not an addict.
2: I don't see anything very criminal about that. He might be looking for a thrill, or perhaps he's one of those writer fellows
3: or something. But this man pretends to be an addict. I've watched him closely. He fakes his smoking. And grease paint has enabled him to simulate the characteristic pallor of a drug victim... even affects the typical mannerism of nose-scratching, but it's his eyes that give him away. Mm, The pupils are wide open, I suppose. Exactly, old fellow. Whereas, if you were really addicted to the drug, they would, as you know, be contracted. I myself always treat my eyes with a special, well, a special kind of drop on the occasion when uh, well, I have to enter these dens.
2: Why does a man haunt an opium den in order not to
3: smoke? That, my dear Watson, is the problem that I intend to solve.
2: Well, perhaps the fellow's a policeman or a private detective like yourself, Holmes.
3: I've already checked on those possibilities. No, Watson, I believe there is only one answer. I believe the man is planning a murder. A murder? It's a tempting setting for a murder. Your victim is an addict, drugged and helpless. Your witnesses... They're in an equal state of befuddlement. The proprietor is anxious to cover up the crime because of the police. That's sure. you. Yes, Holmes. Now, the question is, who is the intended victim? That, my dear Watson, is why I've been shadowing this man. Unfortunately, he was not present in the den we just left, but I intend to continue my search. Holmes, uh, can, can I help you? My my wife's away, you know. You know, it's a long time since we were on a case together. I oh, should be delighted, my dear chap. I've missed you sadly during the past few months. And I, you, Holmes? What's the next move? Back to Baker Street, old fellow. My disguise is wearing thin, and I must contrive a new one. Mm. New disguise, eh? Well, which one shall it be, Watson? Well, how about the old flower cellar? <laughs> I love that one. Well, well it's... Pretty pretty Oh, no, 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 my dear fellow, no. Hardly appropriate for an opium dinner. In any case, the clothes are so wretchedly uncomfortable.
2: Well, how about the
3: music hall singer? Oh, that chap, yes. Oh, I don't want to be beside the seaside. Oh, I don't want to be beside the sea. I don't want to stroll along the prom, prom, prom where the brass band plays tiddly-um. Oh, confound it. Who can that be?
2: You weren't expecting anyone, were you? No. This is just like the old days. The doorbell ringing, Mrs. Hudson toddling off, and bringing up some poor devil in trouble and... Say that rather wistfully, old fellow. Don't tell me that you repent of marriage. No, of course not, Holmes. Mary's a perfect darling, and I couldn't be happier. Just the same. <laughs> She's rather fun to be back here again. Come
6: in.
3: Yes, Mrs. Hudson?
6: Uh, it's a gentleman, sir. He gave me this card. Says he's very anxious to see you. Hmm.
3: Wayne J. Layton. President, Layton Corporation, Chicago United States. Ask him to come up, will you, Mrs. Hudson?
6: Aye, sir. Well, it's quite the cold times to see you back here, Doctor Watson. Just what I was
3: saying myself, Mrs. Hudson. Mr. Leighton has scribbled a message on the back of his card. If a thousand pounds for a week's work interests you, you'll see me. A thousand pounds! Big fish, Watson. Very big fish. This week, sir. Thank you. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Leighton?
1: I guess you're Sherlock
3: Holmes. You guessed correctly, sir. Excuse me. Oh, Mrs. Hudson, just a moment, Mrs. Hudson. Hi, Mr. Holmes. Sit down, won't you, Mr. Layton. My name's Watson,
1: Dr. Watson. I'm Sherlock Holmes's colleague. Uh, yes, I've, I've heard about you, too. Uh, like a cigar doctor, it's a good one. Sent me back three shillings.
3: Oh, three shillings. Oh, thank you. That's very nice. You just put one. Oh, oh three I shillings. It to oh, yourself. Well, splendid. And now, Mr. Layton, may I ask what brings you here?
1: I'll talk fast and to the point. I'm a businessman. I like to do things in a business way. I have a chance to control the guano deposits of the Republic of San Pedro. Their minister will be in London tomorrow, and if it weren't for one thing, I know that I could swing the deal and get the concession. And what is that one thing, Mr. Layton? The deal is secret, see. I thought no one knew about it, but when I got here, I found out that my biggest business rival has gotten wind of what's going on. He's an Englishman. I have never met him, but uh, he's right here in London. Now, I'm not going to tell you his name, not until you give me your word that you'll work for me. Just what you wish me to do, Mr. Layton. Get this rival of mine and keep him out of circulation for a week. I don't care how you do it, and I won't ask. In a week's time, I'll give you the other half of this 500 pounds I brought with
3: me. Oh, Good Scott. What kind of... Uh, Watson, you give you... Mr. Layton his hat and gloves. That's it. Thanks, old fellow. Goodbye, sir. Uh, what are you doing, throwing me out? I can't think where you uh, gathered the impression that I indulged in kidnapping. Once again, goodbye, sir. And here, sir, you
2: can
1: take back your cigar.
3: Well, if you don't want some easy money, I'll soon find someone else that does. This is the last
1: you'll see of me, Mr. Holmes.
3: Life is full of little consolations. Hmm. Some people seem to think that money can... Watson, the game's afoot. Mr. Layton is the man I've been seeking. The man who pretends to be an opium smoker. Why, and you let him get away? Here, I'll go after him. No, 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 no. Don't worry. I've already arranged for that. Oh, how? When I left the room just now to talk to Mrs. Hudson, I was intending to tell her to summon some of my band of street urchins. You know, the Baker Street Irregulars. When she informed me that half a dozen of them... We're in the kitchen at this very moment, partaking of one of her incomparable steak and kidney pies. The rest should be obvious. You
2: left instructions for one of them to shadow Mr. Layton when he left her.
3: Elementary, my dear Watson. Oh, don't tell me that Layton back again. No, I think not. I should say that at the moment he's just about to walk out of the front door. No, I think we shall have another visitor. And judging by the commotion, the incoming and the outgoing visitors know each other and are not on the best of terms. Well, it sounds to me as if we're having a fight. Here comes Mrs. Hudson to tell us about it. Come in, come in.
6: Oh, Mr. Holmes, you've got another visitor. Uh, So
3: I gathered. Mrs. Hudson, you gave my instructions to one of the boys? I did that, sir. Young Wiggins
2: was going to follow the gentleman. Mrs. Hudson, what was all that commotion about downstairs just now?
6: Oh, it was the two gentlemen shouting at each other. Him that was leaving and the one that was waiting on the doorstep. And
3: who is our new visitor, Mrs. Hudson? Here's his cards. Oh, thank you. Linton Chumley, 9 Belgrave Square. Well... Ask him to come up, will you, Mrs Hudson?
6: Very well, Mr Holmes. Oh, one thing more. Yes, sir.
3: Uh, please instruct another of the Baker Street Irregulars... ...to follow this Linton Chumley when he leaves here and report to me.
6: All right, sir.
2: You're taking no chances, Holmes, eh? You're having this
3: fellow shadowed, too. Leighton is a potential murderer, of that I'm convinced. This Mr Chumley might possibly be his intended victim... While we are talking to him, Watson, old fellow, I want you to be sure to look at the condition of his eyes. Yeah, I certainly will. Come in. Oh, good evening, Mr. Chumley. Are you Mr. Sherlock Holmes? I am. This is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do, sir? Uh, that was Wayne Layton that we just left here, wasn't it? Now, won't you sit down, sir? Uh, thank you. I don't want to sit down. All right, you needn't answer my question, but I know it was Layton. I have never met him, but I've seen his picture in the newspapers. Oh, very well, then, sir. It was Wayne Layton. Ah, I know why he came to you. He's hes trying to have me put out of the way while he closes that deal on the San Pedro and Guana concession. Now, look here, Holmes. You've got to be on my side. Whatever fee he offered you to dispose of me, I'll double it if you'll take care of him for a few days. Oh, dear me, this is becoming monotonous. Watson, the hat and gloves? Thank you, old chap. That's right. Good night, Mr. Chumley. Uh, Look here, Holmes. I'll I'll treble his fee. I'll quadruple it. My dear Mr. Chumley, I have accepted no fee from Mr. Layton. I don't propose to accept one from you. Your hat and glove, sir. Uh, That man is out to kill me, Holmes. Well, if you won't help me, I'll go to the police. That's an excellent idea, Mr. Chumley. Again, good night. Did you notice his eyes,
2: Watson? Yes, the pupils were contracted. He's obviously an opium addict. And also a potential corpse. What do we
3: do now? Wait for the irregulars to report? No, you'll return home for your medical bag. I have a feeling that you'll need it before the night is out. Then come back here. I've gone before you return. I'll send one of the irregulars to bring you to wherever I may be. Wait until you receive a message from me. On your way, old chap. There's work ahead of us.
2: Wiggins, you're certain that this is the place that Mr. Holmes told you to bring me to? Oh, yes, Dr. Watson. The corner of Swanham Line and Brixell Street, Mr. Holmes said. Yeah, well, this is the spot, all right. I don't see any sign of him. Hello, this old woman coming towards us. <laughs> so that's the disguise he chose.
6: Oh, spare me a
5: few
2: coppers, will you, mister? <laughs> My feet had something awful, and I ain't had a bite of food all day. <laughs> no, you don't, Holmes, you... Don't fool me this time. As a matter of fact, your makeup isn't very convincing. You hardly look like a woman, and nobody's nose could be quite as red as that.
6: Don't look like a woman, don't <laughs> I? My nose is too red, is
2: it? I'll take that. Oh, no, steady, look at her. funny, poor old woman has quite me. No? I, I'm don't sorry, madam. I, I didn't mean to insult you.
3: <laughs> well, maybe she gave you a bit of work for all right, didn't she? Ah, Box your ears. No mistake about it. You, <laughs> you mind it. your own business. And anyhow, why aren't you aboard your ship at this time of night? Because I'm not a sailor, Watson. It's
2: Mr. Holmes. Great heavens, Holmes. I wish you you wouldn't
3: confuse me like this. I'd never recognized you. My dear Watson, when you're able to recognize me, it will indeed be the beginning of the end. When your eagle eye penetrates my disguise, I shall realize that my retirement is imminent. But enough of this. See that house opposite? You mean the ramshackle place with the broken, tiled roof? Yes, I gave the irregulars instructions to let me know at once... If our two quarries ever enter the same house at the one time, they're inside there now, and I'm going in after them. Be careful, Holmes. I'd better come along with you. Can't I come to you, Mr. Holmes? Certainly not. Both keep watch outside. If I need any help, I'll smash one of the windows, and then you can come in after me. Wait here for me. I don't expect I'll be very long.
2: I'll be here, Holmes. Don't worry about me. Just take good care of yourself. one o'clock, Doctor. Yes, I know, Wiggins. He's been in there half an hour. I'm beginning to get worried. Start going off, then, No, sir. no, no, Wiggins. You know Mr. Holmes. When he gives orders, he likes them. There's a signal for help. Keep watching the house, Wiggins. I'll be out in five minutes. Go for the police. Right, Char, sir. All right, Holmes, all right. I'm coming.
6: You have searched my house from basement
3: to attic. Why do you not give up? I tell you again, there has been no one
2: here tonight. But my friend came in here half an hour ago. I saw him, and before that, two other men are known to have come in here. Uh,
3: If that is so, then where are they? Three men cannot vanish. That's just the point, you scoundrel.
2: Out of the way. I'm going to search this hovel again. I'm not leaving here until I find Mr. Sherlock
1: Holmes. (laughs) And now back to Dr. Watson and tonight's story, The Eyes of Mr. Layton. Well, what happened next, Doctor? When you searched the house for the second time, did you find any trace of Sherlock Holmes or the two rival businessmen? No, Mr. Bartell, I'm afraid I didn't. What did you do? I told Wiggins to
2: report the matter to the nearest police station and then rattled back to Baker Street in a hansom cab as fast as I could. When I arrived at the old familiar doorstep, I wrenched at the bell in a frenzy of anxiety. Finally, the door opened. There stood Mrs. Hutz.
6: Dr. Watson, what is it, sir? Why, you're as white as a ghost. Mr. Holmes, is he here? Aye, sir, came in half an hour ago. He was dressed as a sailor and was half carrying some drunken friend of his. Oh, thank
2: heavens he's safe. I'll go up. All
6: right, sir.
3: Now, what's no Jack? There you are.
2: Holmes, I can't tell you how glad I am to see you. Who's that, uh, that lying on the sofa?
3: Well, up with your back, Watson. Oh, I'm afraid the poor devil's done for. Great Scott, it's Wayne Layton, the American fella. With a knife wound between his ribs. See what you can do for him, will you?
2: Right. That's extraordinary, Holmes. You said that Layton was a potential murderer. And now he's a victim himself.
3: The bit a bit, eh, old chap?
2: Yes, he's still breathing, but he, he hasn't a chance. I'll try him with an injection of strychnine. Holmes, how did you get his body out of the house? I, I searched the place from top to bottom. I i found no trace of any of you.
3: When I went in, I found the stabbing had already taken place. The proprietor then bribed me, or rather the broken-down cell he took me for, to smuggle the body out through the secret stairway leading to the walls of the back of the house. Well,
2: there's no trace of
3: Chamley there? No, he must have left before me by the same exit. Well, then you smashed the window and bolted. Yes, I knew that I could count on you to hold the fort while I was getting the body away. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's uh, try to say something, Watson. I,
2: yes, the uh, injection's beginning to take effect. Uh,
3: yes, Mr. Layton? What are you trying to say? Tell us who stabbed you, oh, sir. Huh? Shh, shh, shh. Lips are moving. B- 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 B-
6: Mandalay.
3: He's dead, Holmes. Oh, yes, but he gave us the clue to the murderer's identity. How? And the word he mumbled just before he died. It sounded to me as if he said Mandalay. Precisely, old fellow. Never did a corpse give us a clearer instruction as to our next and final move. And that is? Back to Limehouse, Watson. Back to Limehouse. Ah, here we are. This must be the place. What's this? Another opium, den? Yes, I knew that since Chumley refrained from smoking earlier on in the night... In order to keep his faculties alert for murder, that an enormous reaction would set in, He'd have to find a den at once, and beyond question a different one from that in which the murder was committed. But how do you know that he's inside here? Oh, well, just before you returned to Baker Street tonight, I had a message from one of my regulars. He tracked him here after he escaped from the scene of the stabbing. But that was a couple of hours ago. He might have slipped away again. No, Watson, tonight he came to drown his senses with a wretched drug. He'll be here. Come on. <laughs>
2: Second injection of caffeine should bring him round. He's heavily drugged, but I think it'll work. Surprising what a five-pound note will do, isn't it? Yes, the proprietor. Let us bring Chumley into his private room, and he—he—he's <laughs> coming too.
3: Who—who—who <laughs> who, who are you? Who? What? What do you want? You remember me, sir? I'm Sherlock Holmes. Oh yes, yes, I—I I remember you. You're in serious trouble, Mr. Chumley. Very serious trouble. Uh, trouble? What what trouble? Wayne Leighton didn't die. Oh. He's badly wounded, but he's going to live. He's at Baker Street now. He wants to go to the police and give evidence. You you've got to get me out of this, Holmes. I'll I'll pay you anything. Uh, Ten thousand twenty thousand. Why did you stab Layton? He, he was in my way. I wanted the San Pedro concession. I I meant to kill him. But we can fix it up now, can't we, Holmes? We can fix it up now. Yes, we can fix it beautifully, sir. As neat a murder confession as ever I listened to, Holmes. Exactly. Come along, Mr. Chumley. I think some night air will be good for you. We'll take you for a nice drive to Scotland Yard.
6: I brought you some kippers, gentlemen. You've both been up all night, and I'm sure you can do it. That's
3: very thoughtful of you, Mrs. Hudson.
6: Yes,
2: indeed it Eh, is.
6: Uh, what is Mrs. Watson going to say when she finds you've been out all night?
2: Oh, don't you worry about that, Mrs. Hudson. She's very understanding.
6: <laughs> it's lucky for you that she is. Well, I'll go and lead you to your breakfast.
2: Holmes. Yes, dear fellow? There's only one thing that puzzles me about this case. Oh, what's that? When Leighton was dying, he muttered the word, mandala. How did that give you the key to the murderer's
3: identity? Oh, the dead American had never met Mr. Chumley, you remember, except when they bumped into each other in our hallway. Yes, he told us that he recognized him from the newspaper photograph. Being an American, he had no reason to know that the name Chumley is in no way pronounced the way it is spelt. Oh, Joe, I never thought of that. Chumley. That name
2: spelt L-E-Y. Charles Mondeley.
3: Mondeley. Precisely, old fellow. What you thought to be Mondeley was really Charles Mondeley. The name of the murderer.
2: Amazing case. You did a remarkable job, Holmes. (laughs) I'm I'm beginning to be
3: confoundedly sleepy. Why not sleep, old chap? Your old Uh, room's all ready for you. Are you going to take a nap? Oh, dear me, no. Hmm? I have much too busy a day ahead of me. Let me look at my engagement book. Uh, Baxter Square Murder. Mm hmm. i put the police on the track. The Duchess of Ferrers. Uh, I've got her material. The princess who was about to run away from home. Good gracious me, let her run. The Pope's cameos. Ah yes, yes. His Holiness must not be kept waiting.
2: Uh, can uh, can I help you again, Holmes? Mary doesn't return <laughs> until tomorrow.
3: Well, I thought you were a sleepy, old fellow.
2: Sleepy rubbish. I never felt more wide awake in my life.
0: What a great story, Watson. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Especially when you basically called the old lady a guy and she slapped you. It <laughs> wasn't funny at all. Come on, Watson. Don't tell me she slapped the humour out of you. She
2: did look like Holmes in disguise, you know, and you would have made the same mistake that I did. Okay, okay. Her nose was ridiculously
0: red and she did look like a man. Sheesh, forget I said a word. What? Look, I won't say another word. Oh, come on, I wouldn't do that. I'm tired myself. I'm off to bed. Over to you, Mr. Bartell.
2: Mr. Bartell? Mr. Bartell? Uh, won't you even open your mouth to uh, finish your wine? Your your
1: petri wine? Okay, you win. You know I'll open my mouth for petri wine any time. That petri wine is always good wine.